0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. I want to pray over the time that we spend together. And sometimes I know it's meaningful to me. There's just things that I do, uh, physically things that I do that remind me that, that I'm submitted to Jesus Christ, that my heart is submitted and surrendered. If we look back, last week's message was really centered on surrender in our own lives. And uh, I want you to do this. Just put your, I'm going to put my hand over my heart. I'm just going to pray that my heart would be surrendered and that we, would, um, that we would know what God wants to do in his sovereign way in our lives and in this community. So, Lord, today, let us not be ignorant or mindless about the days that we're in. Um, this is not a surprise to you. Just let us be more, much more mindful of you, your sovereignty, your lordship, your authority, and today your word working in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Many of you, we told the story a few weeks ago, Annette and I headed to Charleston to meet our grandkids who were coming in from out of the country, we surprised them, we had a great time, we spent four days together, walked the streets of Charleston, took different tours, learned about the city, but uh, so many times we would just be walking in a group together, one particular day we're in the market, the Charleston market, in fact it's on Market and Meeting Street is, is, uh, is where the market was. And my grandson, Jackson, and I kind of got ahead of everyone. Uh, there, I didn't realize it, but the vendors do come out on the streets, and they try to get you inside. Felt a little bit like uh, Mexico or somewhere else you go where they try to get you inside. And so we were walking along, and my grandson and I are just talking. A vendor stepped out on the sidewalk. She looked at both of us, and she said, wow, he really looks like you. And then I responded by saying, yeah, he is a very handsome fellow. And um, my grandson rolled his eyes back and said, I hope this never, ever happens to me again with my grandfather. I sure hope (laughs) I don't get embarrassed like that again. So, you know, I think we've all had something like that happen in our life where we've been with a friend or a family member or... They, they say, wow, you look like, and then they fill in the blank. And this is, what, this is really what happens when we move into Genesis 37 all the way through chapter 50. And so if you have your Bible this morning, you can open to Genesis, Genesis 37. We're actually going to take a fairly big swath here. And so we're going to hang on just a little bit about what we're going to do and how we're going to open this passage of Scripture. If you remember, we're in this series called The Gospel Story. I don't know if you remember the byline we've repeated a few times. It's finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to be bold, go out on a limb. Scholars may differ with me and they probably have reason to, but I'm going to say this, between Genesis 37 to 50, you will find Jesus more in those 14 chapters than you do almost anywhere else in the Old Testament. And I'm going to say this, almost anywhere else in the Bible. So if you're looking for Jesus, you have landed in a great place. Now, we know that we find Jesus. We see Jesus all through the Old Testament. But this is a concentrated place that we find Jesus, I mean, saturating these 14 chapters. Uh, We're going to talk about the primary focus isn't Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. The focus in these 14 chapters is the person Joseph. Now, I don't know how much study you've done on Joseph's life. Uh, I think all of us probably have done a little bit if we grew up in church, but it's a, it's a great place to go. It is not a place that I thought you would find so much symbolism, so, so many manifestations of, of, of Jesus, uh, his life, his death, and his resurrection. But you see that in this passage. We're going to look at Joseph's life. And when we read about, or, uh, when we read about Joseph, he reminds us of Jesus Christ. I mean, you're going to see that in his life, and that's what I want us to look at for the next few minutes, is where do we see Jesus in Joseph? He reminds us of Jesus, and that's what we think about when we look at others. So who do people think we look like? I mean, who do people think I look like um, being with Jesus? Do I look like Jesus? Do I look like some other form, (laughs) strange or otherwise? Who do I look like? And that's what we want to look at, pay attention to, because, again— Genesis chapters 37 through 50 is the final section in the book of Genesis. And there again, 14 chapters are focused on one person, and that's Joseph. Now, I want you to think about it this way. There is uh, more space in Genesis, 28% of Genesis, is devoted to Joseph than it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, that's a hump. Right there, there's a lot of scripture. More space is dedicated to Joseph than to Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And if you remember there, there there's a whole lot of stuff going on in those chapters. You have creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, you have the Tower of Babel. All of that going on doesn't even compare to the time that's committed to Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now, what is Joseph like? If you were going to pick a word out, what would that word be? Um, I think it'd be a very simple word. I think of two words, one, different. He's different, and I'm going to say that in a good way, and and he's unique. He's unique. I, I don't know if there's anyone else in the Old Testament that when you look at their life, you, you'll say, wow, this person's got some things going. I think Daniel comes close. I'll just throw it out there. I think Daniel comes close. Uh, I, I don't know how many people really get this close to Joseph because as you look at Joseph's life, He's almost flawless. But when you see a flaw, you have to recognize that he's only 17 years old. He's a teenager. I give teenagers passes. Uh, You should give them passes. There's grace there. They're teenagers. And even though things that were said uh, and the things that Joseph said might not have been appropriate. I don't know if he was relationally intelligent at that point or socially. It was a little awkward, it seems to me, when he steps up and gives a crazy dream to his father and his brothers But that's not a sin. That was probably more of immaturity in his own life. So in my mind, he does get a pass. I don't know if you knew this, but there is nothing in the Bible where Joseph is described in a negative way. There's nothing. He's not described negatively at all in Scripture. So what does that say to us? It says he was a man who had a pure heart. Um, I would say that if you're going to put a list together, he was a man with a pure heart. He had no guile that this is what we would see i think in the in the life of joseph and what we know is scholars will say there are uh, in his life there are many many ways that he looks like jesus said earlier it's a concentrated passage of scripture some scholars have come up with a hundred different ways jesus is reflected in this passage of scripture so don't worry we're not going to do a hundred different things here. I think we'll do seven out of the hundred. Seven's a good number, perfect number, heavenly number. Is that good with you? All right, we're going to do seven. But I would encourage you that when you open your Bible and you're looking in this passage of Scripture, just expect that God wants to do something. Do you know this? Any time that I take my Bible out and I sit and I just do this, that's an invitation right there to the Holy Spirit, right there, Immediately. I'm saying, Lord, you're welcomed in this place. I I need to learn some things from you. Please teach me. And so Joseph was not like his fathers. He was not like Abraham. He was not like Isaac. He was not like Jacob, a long way away from his father, Jacob. And then when I look at his life, I recognize that there are things there in his life that he took care of, and meaning there were flaws. There were, I'm going to call them family curses that were in this lineage, that were in this line that stopped with Joseph. And when I thought through that, I thought about my own life. I thought about your life. Moms, dads, I'm thinking about you studying this passage of scripture and thinking there are places that we just step up and we say the, the curse stops here, that, that the curse doesn't go on any further, uh, whether that might be addiction, uh, whether that might be deception. And in the case here, it was deception. If you look at Abraham, his great-grandfather, Uh, He wasn't always a man of faith there was deception involved in his life Uh, Isaac a little bit Jacob a whole lot a whole lot I mean his whole name his name means supplanter or circumventer. So Joseph has his work cut out for him And what he does is he steps up and he says I'm I'm not going to do this This deception that runs in my family uh, stops here Um, It stops here now in my family If you go back several generations, you go back and there is the curse of racism that was in my family that would go back a few generations until Jesus came along and that all changed. But I know for me and my family, it was my my father. My father was the guy who he stepped up. He saw it in his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and he said it will not be in me. It will not be in my children, and he drew a line. And it was a very clear line, and I I remember his conversations. I remember what he said. I remember how he communicated what he felt about Scripture and what he felt about other people who might be different than us. He actually said, you need these people, son, in your life to make you whole. You need these people to make you complete. And so my dad did that. In fact, again, when we were in Charleston, we took a little tour. If you go uh, to the south and go to their cemeteries, you're in for quite a history lesson. Uh, they keep their, their cemeteries probably a lot nicer than they do their own homes. And so we went there, and we, we saw some of the remnants of the Confederacy, some of the rem- remnants of, of, uh, of the Civil War. Uh, we got back in the car, and my kids, my grandkids were with me, and I said, I want you to listen to this. I don't say this much, but you need to know in your family, your great-grandfather stopped this. He stopped it. So what is it that we need to look at in our own lives? What is it that we need to look at in our own families and say, that's it? Uh, It stops here. I'm just going to ask you to be thoughtful about that, prayerful about that, because you have the power in Jesus' name. You have the influence, the leadership in your own home uh, to do that. And, in fact, let's pray that way right now. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that are hearing this message, whether they're in person or online, that they would evaluate, take Holy Spirit inventory of their lives and their even their legacy and their history and say, okay, this stops right now with me. And for those that have already made those decisions, bless them, thank them, profit them in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We know that you are great. In your name we pray. Amen. And we say, Jesus, thank you for breaking the curse of sin in our life. He, he broke the curse of sin in all of our lives. And so we know that and we see that in Joseph. We really don't have, uh, again, the time to cover 100, but we'll go over seven of the most obvious ways that that Joseph looks like Jesus. And so we're going to go through those 14 chapters we're going to bounce around a little bit follow me I have it up on the overhead you have your Bible but we're going to look at this if you haven't already we're going to start right there at chapter 37 and uh, we're going to look at see how the life of Joseph looks like the life of Jesus so the first thing the first thing that stands out in my mind when I look at the life of Joseph the first thing that I see is Joseph looking a lot like Jesus is how Joseph was deeply loved by his father. See, right there, you have just this huge indication of, wow, this is like a Jesus kind of thing happening here. Joseph was deeply loved by his father, Jacob. It says in chapter 37, verses 1 through 3, it says Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. Uh, This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of, of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about his brothers. That's what he's doing here. Now Israel, that's Jacob. Remember, his name was changed to Israel. Loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate or an ornate or a colored bright robe for him. It can be described as a tunic. It can be described as a robe. I want you to remember this because this, this, is, this is important when we look at this story. So the first thing that we notice about this father-son relationship is the love that the father has for his son. Now, earthly love is imperfect. And we know that uh, we can't have favorites. But in this case, you definitely see a favorite, and that is Joseph. And one of the ways that his father showed his favoritism—it was an ancient way of doing so—is that you actually made that favorite child uh, a robe. Uh, it could be a robe of many colors. It can be—it was just—and what it did, it was—it um, was a sign of honor and a sign of authority. That's typically what those, what that kind of gift would mean. So Jacob gives Joseph this robe of many colors, and he says, you're honored and you have authority in this place, in this home. Um, You have authority. And so whoever wore it had that. So I want you to remember he's only 17. His older brothers are probably in their 30s, at least the older part, the older older half. They're seasoned men, okay? So you got a 17-year-old. You have to picture this. I mean, even when there's two or three years difference in a home, there can be rows that happen. But this is different. I mean, you got men uh, who are 17. In fact, two of those men had already committed murder. Uh, the, you have Simeon and you have Levi who had already gone and, and, and whacked people. I mean, they were murderers. And so you have this, these guys that are like, these, they're listening to a 17-year-old. And I know they're, they're thinking, yeah, when we get a chance, you're out too. Well, you follow the story, and for those that follow the story, you kind of know where this is headed. There's just a lot of things that are happening between the two. But I want you to remember how much he's loved because, again, we also know that Jesus was his father's beloved. That it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where Jesus arrives on the scene to be baptized at the at the commissioning of his father. He goes there. His, uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, is the one... That has the privilege of doing this. And so he heads there and his father in heaven says to his son, this is my son. An audible voice. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. So what did the father say to his son? This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And the tunic going back to that tunic being a symbol of authority When I'm thinking through this reminds me and maybe some of you it popped into your head as well is Matthew 28, uh, 28, 18, where Jesus said, what did he say? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's wearing a robe. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, there's something else. I was studying this and I thought, yeah, there's just something else. It was kind of one of those things that was nagging. There's got to be something else about this robe. We know honor. We know authority. Uh, How else could this work? Well, translated, we know it was a robe of many colors, but that wasn't the only distinction of that kind of robe or that tunic because there are translations that say it wasn't only a robe of many colors, but it was seamless, that it was seamless. And uh, and, and it, it, it might not mean much until you take, That passage, and you compare it to John chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. It says, and when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares. What did they do with Joseph? You see that happening. One for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from the top to bottom. Let's not tear it. They said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. That's in Isaiah. So this is what the soldiers did near the cross of Jesus. They stood there, stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So you see there what's happening here. This robe is significant both in Joseph's life and. And the life of Jesus. And they represent uh, the same thing. I I read this and I went wow. This is like a discovery. I I hadn't really fallen on. But Joseph here. For sure. Is deeply loved by his father. Now there's a second thing here that you can look at. It's connected actually to the first. As much as Joseph was deeply loved by his father. The second thing is. He was deeply hated by his brothers. You see that. That he is. He's just hated by his brothers. And. He, Joseph, Joseph doesn't do a great job at, at stemming that tide. I mean, he, he does and says things, as we mentioned earlier, that just kind of eggs his brothers on. And I, I cannot tell you um, what he meant by doing all that. I know his father was a little upset with it as well. But Joseph was maliciously hated by his brothers. In Genesis 37, verse 4, uh, it, just bas- it just says it out. It says, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word uh, about him. Uh, That's hate. And this only grows through this chapter and through this next several chapters. It grows until the unthinkable happens as he's sold into slavery. That we see that Joseph is sold into slavery and a lie goes back to his father Jacob that says, yeah, he's dead. Yep, we, we, we were just minding our own business, and we came across this robe, and it's got blood all over it. Well, they had taken a goat and put goat's blood on it, and, and you can imagine what happened uh, to that father's heart, who deeply loved this son, and, uh, and, and, and he falls apart. It says that he mourned and mourned for longer than probably normal, is what we understand. This also is so much like Jesus. When I look at this, he was hated. And the reason you know this and you see it is not only what we see manifested on the cross, but what was told. It's only pure hate that can do to a man what Isaiah says they did to Jesus. It is one of the most vicious. In fact, when you read that portion of scripture, it's 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 pretty much R rated if you fill in the blanks because it it is so gross. It is so nasty. It is so awful that they say they tortured and beat. Jesus beyond recognition, you would not even probably know if you didn't know he was a man, you might not know he was a man. You might have thought he was an animal that was dragged and beat up. This is how hate treated Jesus. Disfigured him. And when Jesus is presented to the crowds, we know that there were two a choice they had to make between Jesus and Barabbas. By the way, Barabbas means the son of a father. That's interesting to me. The son of a father. Uh, We have the son of the father, Jesus, standing next to him. And they start yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. With passion, with hate, they say this. And the Bible says to us, and we know this, he came unto his own. And his own did not receive him. So his father loved him, his brothers hated him. The third thing that Joseph uh, represents for us, like Jesus, he, he was sold for pieces of silver this you you guys need to do your study in this when you get home just take your Bible out and go dive into these 14 chapters and start pulling stuff out in fact send me a few would you I'd like to hear what you come up with I'd love to see what you come up with in this passage his brothers first want to kill him uh, Judah uh, steps up Judah and Reuben at a particular time says let's don't let's don't kill him hey uh, why don't we just sell him and make a profit you know then then they're, they're the The murder is not on our hands. We don't have the blood on our hands. And it says, listen to this. It says, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. They're so amazingly benevolent here. They're such kind brothers, you know. He's our brother. Let's just dump him in a ditch. You know, let's do that. And let's sell him into slavery and let's get some money. For that, and just maybe go and have a party together afterwards, because we don't have to listen to the dreamer anymore. We don't have to pay attention to this. He convicts us every time he shows up. He's convicting us. He's telling us stuff, and we don't like it. And so, what do they do? They d- do this. They they take him out, and they do the unthinkable again. They they put him in a pit. They pull. They see some Midianites coming by. Ishmaelites. They're the same group of people, by the way. They don't. They are not distinguished. The Ishmaelites. I like that one uh, a little more, and I'll tell you why. Because the brothers are selling him to their third cousins. That's what's happening here. It's interesting. Blood selling to blood. I just get. I just when that happens, when blood gets into this, it lasts for maybe four or five thousand years, like it does today. And so you see this happening, and and they pulled Joseph up, hold out of the pit. They sold him for twenty shekels. And his captors took him to Egypt. And we know that Jesus was constantly surrounded by his crowds, and that people did like Jesus. They, they, mainly because, well, two things: miracles and the miracles of giving them food. I mean, you love to eat where Jesus dined. Wherever Jesus showed up, you know, wow, we're going we're gonna to have some fish and bread today, and we're going to have some left over." You know Jesus showed up, food showed up, miracles happened. Uh, uh, and these were his closest were his disciples. They're they're really his brothers. They're the ones that were the closest to him. And just like Joseph, uh, the closest to his brothers uh, were 12 boys. There were 12 boys that were there. Benjamin came along a little later. But those closest to Jesus so many times did not understand him. Joseph had the same problem, maybe for different reasons than Jesus did, but the same problem. So uh, Judas sells Jesus to the Romans for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, it just you just see this and you're thinking, wow, even the betrayals uh, are, are so symbolic of what Jesus had done for us in the Old Testament. Deeply loved by his father, hated by his brother, sold for pieces of silver. And then the fourth thing, Joseph was falsely accused for crimes he didn't commit. Um, a great famous story. Uh, you know, you read that story in chapter thirty nine. Um, we find Joseph sold into slavery. He's taken to Egypt, and uh, the Ishmaelites slash Midianites sell him to Potiphar's house. Somehow he gets to Potiphar's just a prince in Egypt, a high-ranking official, and he gets sold as a slave. And we know that what's happening here is he's so responsible that he's actually moved in and and part and, and oversees Potiphar's house. That's big time because uh, he was trusted. He was deeply trusted by even his enemies, but by, by even those that, that, that were his masters, they trusted Joseph. And so Joseph, he goes to the office every day into Potiphar's house. And the Bible tells us that he was extremely good-looking, that he was chiseled, that he's a good-looking guy. And so the problem that Joseph faces is he's going to Potiphar's house every single day, and there is Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is there as well. And so what you really have here, the story is it's the bachelor meets the desperate housewife. That's actually what happens. And so so she wants she she want to make on him, you know, and, and he says, I'm not having anything to do with this. And the scripture tells us when you read it, it says Joseph said or she said, come to bed with me. And He refused. With me in charge, he told her, listen to this, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Wow, that's amazing. So he just flat out runs out. He gets out of there, he just leaves his coat. Uh, that guy has a problem with coats, gets him in trouble every now and again. And he has another problem, and you see it. And then you see, if you go to verse 15, she called her household servants. She's, she's now ticked off. and There's no trial. There's no judges. It doesn't happen like that. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought into this house to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I scream. She's accusing him of rape. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. He's in trouble because this is, Potiphar's going to listen to this. She accuses Joseph of, of, of rape, and, and this false accusation lands him in an Egyptian uh, jail, an Egyptian prison, uh, prison. So, very much like Jesus being falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused of several different crimes. We know that in Luke chapter 23, verse 2, he's accused of, listen to this, this one's the one that gets me. For perverting the nation—that's that, what they said. For subverting the nation, for being a, 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 a for, for being someone who perverts the nation. That Jesus came to bring wholeness it was the opposite of what Jesus did. For not paying taxes to Caesar—that's not what Jesus said. Remember, he said, "No, pay Caesar Caesar what he he deserves, and you give to God what God deserves." He didn't say, "Don't pay taxes." They're saying that's what he said, and they accuse him of blasphemy by saying, hey, he says that he's the son of God. Well, they got that one right. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. But they accuse him of these kinds of things. And so we see him dealing with these false accusations. Once again, as I mentioned before, the Jewish religious leaders jumped in as quick as they could. They combined with the Roman authorities and they went after Jesus. The only thing they could do was come up with something false what they did t- to Joseph. They thought, man, this guy is upstanding. Dude, we got to create a problem here. And so he is finding himself being falsely accused of something he didn't do. So number four, accused falsely. Number five, that looks like Jesus, Joseph was placed in a jail. This is going to sound familiar with two criminals. I, th- I thought this was, this to me was fun to go through this. And I hope it's fun to you when you read this. You go, Wow. This is pretty amazing. It says, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. Not a good thing to do to the king. And then they said Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison with Joseph where Joseph was confined. So what do you have here in chapter 40? You have him in prison two others alongside of him, a chief butler and a chief baker, two criminals next to Joseph. Does that sound familiar? It does. Because that brings us to the cross. It brings us to the cross where Isaiah even speaks of this and then the gospel bears it out. It happens that when he's on the cross, he's between two criminals. I don't know if they were a cupbearer and a butler or a baker. I don't know. But... They were between two, he was between, Jesus was between two criminals. And what happens, Jesus was crucified between these two criminals. You can see it in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. One is on the right, and one is on the left. And when Joseph was in prison, one of the prisoners was set free and exalted. The other was killed. So interesting, with Jesus, one criminal mocks Jesus. And the best we can tell, he spends eternity separated from God because of the words that came out of his heart. His mouth spoke. The other humbly cried out, Lord, remember me. Please, would you, and I can imagine he's just broken. I can imagine he's in pain. I can imagine he's crying if you could just hear his voice. He's at the end. It's a good prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know how quick Jesus is to lean into the humble, to the broken, to those that are hurting, us included. And today if we have those broken parts of our life where we might be hurting those places that we even try to hide from others and, and and we think for the most part we're keeping things a secret, but it comes out. The brokenness is there. There's a place you can go. The Bible says that you can lean in, you can go to Jesus. And I love the fact that he doesn't hesitate to come to your place. He doesn't hesitate He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of the darkness that sin brings. He's not afraid of it. And what does Jesus say to this criminal? I mean, he doesn't even hesitate. I mean, I'm pretty shocking everybody, I'm sure. Jesus said, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Today. We confess our faults. The Bible says that he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. That today what we can do is say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. And we see here one spiritually lived, the other spiritually died. We have to remember this. We have to remember that Jesus found us. That Jesus knows where we are. He said, listen, I didn't come for those that are already found. I didn't come for those that were already healthy I came for those that are lost and sick and I know that when we say Lord we're lost and we're sick that he comes he just moves in He he makes his presence known he just moves in on you and you can feel it you can know it you can sense that he's there when you pray this kind of prayer the broken and the contrite he does not despise or push away but he invites man he closes that gap so fast I i don't know why this is getting me today, but I'm exceedingly thankful that he doesn't wait around and judge it and measure it and wonder if it's okay. He leaves that to the other people. You know, that There's enough of that. And I think we would be good to remember how quick Jesus closes the gap for us when we sin and we're broken. How would we act? How do we close the gap? with those that have offended us or hurt us, that we would close that gap so quickly. And so we see here the sixth way that Joseph looks like Jesus is Joseph was dead to his father, and then he appeared to be alive. I mean, that's just the testimony here in in chapter 37, verses 33 and 34. Um, It says Jacob recognized his son's robe some ferocious animal, he says, has devoured him. And Joseph was surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth. He mourned for his son many, many, many days. The, the real translation there is it went way beyond. It went way beyond the normal period that you mourn uh, in, 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 in a Jewish custom. It goes way beyond that. I don't know how many have studied history, but I know, for instance, when President Lincoln was assassinated, his widow wore black the rest of her life. That's a long time. Uh, It says here that he mourned for a long, long time. I don't know how long that is, but longer than we would. He was just broken. For years, his father thought that he was dead. Until you get to chapter 45, and he finds out that his son is alive. And the way the Bible describes that his son is alive, imagine that. For for us, imagine that someone you thought was dead. It comes to life and it's years later and you see them. It says here that that Jacob almost had a heart attack. It's 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 veiled. But it says here that his heart almost stopped, uh, that it stood still, that he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. I mean, he's just like he's an old guy by now. That probably did. I don't know what happened. I mean, that shook him. I'm sure that he had, you know, he had a bad leg too, a hip. I'm sure his heart and his hip, man, he's just hearing this. And he, I got to sit down, man. This is, I got to sit down. That's way too much. I love what you're saying to me, but I got to see this. I got to see this. God is so grace-filled, he, he lets him see it. So you see, this whole situation, that which was dead, is now alive. It's unbelievable. And that's the comment, Jesus died on a cross, and three days he rose again. Mark 16, 6 says that, hey, you're looking, the angels say, you guys are looking for the dead among the living. You know, you really are. They still weren't believing it all. I mean, three days had passed, they thought he was dead, and they're hearing this report, no, he's alive. And I think Peter, in his sermon, uh, uh, the day of Pentecost, really describes it well in Acts chapter 3. It says, you killed the prince of life, but God but God, that's always a great one right there. But God raised him from the dead. See, you were a sinner lost, but God. You were broken and now you're found, but God found you. See, that, that, that phrase is a phrase of life. It's a phrase of resurrection. It's a phrase that, that's green and got flowers all, you know, just sprouting around it. It's life, but God. You were afar off, but God has brought you near to Jesus Through his blood, but God. Everything's lost if it weren't for God, but God. You're desperate. You have no hope but God. And you think about our own lives. You think about those places where we find ourselves where hopes are dashed, where dreams are crushed, and it appears all dead. God's given you hope. God's given you a dream. He's given you a vision, whatever that is, but you don't see it happening. You don't see, in fact, you see the opposite. Remember, Abraham goes into the, to the promised land, and there is a famine. Oh, man, really? Really? I mean, you go into your promised land, and you're looking around and say, this doesn't look real promising to me. And you're thinking all your dreams, all your hopes, they're dying out. But let me say this. But God. But God. For that child that doesn't know Jesus, but God. Mm-hmm. For a sickness that seems not to go away but God. For all those places that you don't hope but God. Dream and hope again because it's God. He can bring our dreams alive. He can raise things from the dead. And then the last thought about how Joseph looked like Jesus. uh, I said seven, right? This is seven. Joseph had others bow down to him. I thought that was an appropriate way to end it for us today is that he had others bow down uh, to him in Genesis 50, 50, 18, it says his brothers then came and, and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. He said that's that that was one of four or five occurrences that they bowed down. There was there were several times that they they bowed down to Joseph. Uh, the story goes in chapter 37. Again, he has a dream, bottom line. The dream was about his family, including his brothers and his family, just bowing down to him. He tells it in kind of an allegory, and he and he talks about them bowing down. He's 17, man. He just, he's still wet behind the ears. He still has he still has a snotty nose. He's he's barely got probably a little peach fuzz. And he's telling these men, he's telling his father and their families, you are gonna bow down to me kind of amazing i mean again his brothers hated him walked out the door his dad was thinking oh man this cat went way over the top on this one and it was almost like he said why did you say that if you read it a little for what what are you doing but it says that his father just remembered it it's kind of like mary heard these things and hid them in her heart she hear he hears this and he goes yeah, that dude, he's not off that often i don't know he's probably not off on this one it's just kind of cocky you know And what happens is they do end up exactly what happens. Chapter 42, chapter 47, chapter 48, they all bowed down. This is something that even his father, he he just couldn't couldn't stomach at the time. And then you think about what is going to happen in our days, what's going to happen. um, It's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Maranatha, he's coming. He's coming back. He's coming soon. I think it's good to know the events of, of, of what the Bible tells us about the last days. But I want to tell you this. It's even better to know who that last day is all about. It's all about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that we would do the same thing. That we wouldn't even wait to that day to do what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father wow. When you read this, you think, my goodness, Lord, you're all over this. <laughs> Joseph, you look a lot like Jesus. And then you ask yourself, and I ask myself, who do I look like? You know what I hope? I hope that one day I'm walking down the street with Jesus, and we're in Charleston somewhere, and we're just having a good time hanging out, and, and a shop owner steps out, and looks at me and looks at Jesus and says to Jesus, wow, he looks a lot like you. Jesus would probably say, yeah, he's handsome. <laughs> that's uh, that that's what I want to happen in my life. And that's what I pray you want to happen in your life. That whenever you're going in your journey in life, whatever it is, people would look at you and go, oh, you're different. You're unique. Why? Because you look like Jesus, because you look like your father the gospel story is about seeing jesus all through the old testament it's about seeing jesus all through the new testament the whole bible is full of jesus and that's why jesus said hey search the scriptures search the scriptures why do you do that you go to the scripture for them you will find eternal life how will you find it why because it'll lead you straight to jesus that's the path that takes you the one who gives us eternal life would you do this? Just bow your head with me, if you would, this morning. And what we're going to do is pray. And for those that are hearing this message, um, whether you're here in person or online, and, and you're, you're, you've come to a place where you know you have to invite Jesus in as well. Um, I mean, you don't have to, but your circumstances really may warrant it. <laughs> Our life does. Um, we, are, we are broken. And we can say, Lord, can you help us? I'm going to invite you into my life. I want you to make me whole. So would you hear this invitation coming to you today? That Jesus loves you and that he cares for you and he invites you into a relationship with him. But we, ha- we have to follow what, what all have followed. That is, we confess our sins and he's faithful and just that we invite him and in. he doesn't go anywhere You know that he's not invited. He's going to go into that place. So this morning, if it's in your heart to ask Jesus to come into your life, just I wanna give you a second, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just lift your hand in this place or lift your hands at home. Um, We want to give you this opportunity to look a lot like Jesus. That's what we want. Father, I just pray for salvation, that your salvation would move in our lives and that you would bring salvation to us here And that in the days ahead, we would keep looking more and more and more like you. Because we've spent time with you and we've been in your word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing us your word, your scripture. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444. And anytime through can